0: So welcome to Design Ops Island Discs, the podcast from Zero Height that navigates the calm waters of Design Ops with your host, me, Luke Murphy. I'm a design advocate at Zero Height, and I'm talking to the best folks in Design Ops and Design Systems to navigate us through what it takes to float Design Ops and Design Systems within your org. So for episode four of season three, which is being recorded live, I'm joined by Hayden Pickering. So, as we know, this season we're focusing on the roles within design systems and Hayden is here as a front-end developer on design systems. But that's not all that Hayden does. Hayden is also a designer, technical writer, editor, author, illustrator. I'm sure I'm forgetting something there, um, but it's okay, we'll, we'll cover it off later. <laughs> uh, he wrote the book inclusive components and has worked with the Pacellio Group, Spotify, BBC, Smashing Mag, Bulb Energy, and most recently, Springer Nature. He is one of the front-end developers on the design system. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, Hayden. Hello,
1: thank you for having me. Yeah, I I, I don't think you forgot anything. There's, I ski, I cook, I'm in a band. Basically, I don't have, I'm 40 and I don't have children so i i have i was was
0: gonna uh, say is there also maybe undiagnosed adhd because i know that's definitely (laughs) my problem Uh. Uh, actually there is there is a a
1: lot of people with adhd or who are um neurodivergent have told me that i might might be that way in (laughs) class yeah
0: that's true yeah (laughs) i actually think i think that there is just a relatively high proportion of people within design design systems and sort of front end that that definitely sit on the neurodivergent spectrum, but yeah, uh, I mean, we could just spend the whole podcast talking about that if you want. Oh, uh, sure. But I suppose I mean, we should. Yeah, probably... I, I,
1: I'm certainly comfortable talking about it if if uh, if it comes up. <laughs> it comes up. That's all good.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I mean, we should probably we should probably get back to design systems because you know that's what people have you know bought their ticket for, right? Um, yeah. So today we're focusing on one of those many things that you do, uh, which is so the front end dev experience or the engineer experience or whatever it is that you want to call it within design systems, um, which is one of the many roles you've had. Um, Hmm. But I suppose what led you into sort of design systems in the first place? How did you get to design systems?
1: That's, yeah, I've been trying to work that out. And I think um, most, most of my recent work with, Design systems with organizations with design systems has been through the route of accessibility. So, I think um, mm-hmm. a lot of folks associate me with accessibility before they do anything else, perhaps accessibility and then yeah. maybe sort of CSS stuff. Um, and usually it, it would be the case that the, there'd be already a design system that they were maintaining that was in existence and was relative level of maturity and they'd want some specific advice regarding accessibility and a lot of the work I had done previously was very much focused around accessibility as in doing like audits and, um, yeah. and providing what what's called remediation advice which is a really <laughs> kind of esoteric word but just basically here's how you fix it. Like you need to change this code, or you need to move this into this place, or what have you.
0: Um, it's the list of shit to fix, right? Yeah, That's exactly. a nice word. Yeah. For it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, with it, like with the um, Passiello group and, and other folks like that, it's um, yeah, it's a case of a, lo- a lot of people just kind of run automated tests and just say, well, these are all the things that are broken, and then you get a list of like seven million mm-hmm. missing image image uh, alt attributes or whatever the idea was to move it towards being organized around components more just because that's, we were meeting developers halfway there because we knew that they would be working kind of on a component basis rather than on a (laughs) image alt text basis. You know, you're not going to do all of those in one go, you're going to be working on a component. And so that was one of the things we moved towards doing is organizing around components in, in our, in our uh sort of the solutions we were providing and um i guess that's where it started to become system-like or or became reminiscent of how design systems are organized with your component libraries and things like that Mm. but um yeah as organizations would ask i'd come in as a consultant and i would be asked to go through their design system and and just give them advice on making their components more accessible, really. Although it was yeah. an interesting situation because this was, I had a, a few times what happened was that I'd be asked to come in and do accessibility stuff with their design system, but then it would end up being the case that because they were an organization full of full stack developers, and by full stack developer, I mean someone who knows how like complex database stuff works and knows how to write Mm. JavaScripts, but is not really familiar at all with HTML or CSS. So we get into the sort of, there was a lot of the back of the front end people, but not a lot of the front of the front end people. Front of the front end. So it would be kind of like the case that we want you to do accessibility for us. And then it would be like, actually, since you're here, (laughs) how does Flexbox work, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It was literally the case in in, uh, uh, naming no names, but that was literally the case in one place, it's like we do have these objectives and OKRs and things to meet in terms of accessibility, but also we need to do a layout. <laughs> and yep. uh, nobody, had, yep. you know, people are like really good at React, and they were um, getting up to speed with TypeScript and things like that. Stuff that sort of makes my head spin, if I'm honest. Um, and um, <laughs> but they, yeah, but Flexbox and Grid and and things like that, not so hot. So, so in a way, that's how I segue from just being a uh, specific accessibility consultant that was brought to bear on design systems to someone who just works generally yep. as a front-end developer in design systems I guess yeah
0: do you and do you find the um, sort of engineering front end basically the, the engineer experience within design systems definitely does weigh towards that front of front end um, sort of skill set yeah
1: so I think that's that's an interesting uh, thing about design systems, I think it's the current home for people who aren't necessarily like full on JavaScript programmers, if you sort of mean. People who have a broader skill set, I think, a skill set which incorporates a lot of different things anyway, and uh, because there's so many facets to design systems and I mean, I know folks who are really talented who work on design systems a lot. And it's mostly, I think, because unless you're working on the design system these days, you're not really you with that skill set, there's there's little room for you in the industry. That, I mean, that hmm. shouldn't be the hmm. case. But um with so much emphasis on the 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 sort of computer science y elements of it, um, it's difficult to find a a, a foothold otherwise so yeah so it feels like a sort of natural home to me because it's somewhere that i can think about uh css and html uh and accessibility all in one place uh the front of the front end stuff yeah
0: yeah because it's it's, i suppose that's the thing is that it's the it's not only the place where you can kind of focus on that but you can actually think about the best way to implement because i know that it's definitely something that i found is um i feel like it's the curse of startups where they only want to hire full stack Mm -hmm. um because it's easier that way and it's cheaper because you get somebody who can do all of it yeah when the reality is a lot of the as you said like the the full stack people tend to veer towards the back of the front end I suppose because they need that skill set right um but it means that a lot of their front to front end uh skills are very much um It's to get the job done, Yeah, not necessarily get the job done right. Yeah, I I think Uh.
1: that's right. I think for the most part, the term full stack is kind of a misnomer. There are people out there who are really great at CSS and really great at like GraphQL stuff and things like that, but they they are few and far between. And full stack usually means I'm really good at that um, uh, computer science element. Like I know JavaScript inside out. I know how to build complex APIs and things like that, and I've heard of CSS.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like that I mean, combination. yeah, there is a reason. There is a reason why we used to call full stackers unicorns because they didn't act like yeah. two full stackers didn't exist. Right? Yeah, yeah, but where, where it's actually <laughs> um, a balance
1: between the different skill sets. Yeah, very rare, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's really interesting that. Um, that and it does it, you know it obviously makes sense that design systems feels like a really good home for the front of front enders especially because you know what you're focusing on is you're focusing on um you know serving up the the a lot a lot of it is serving up front end elements and not necessarily like hooking it up is that i mean is that fair to say yeah
1: i think so i mean i i'm a I do love writing JavaScript. I, I always tell people I, I actually really like JavaScript. I just don't like other people's JavaScript, um, which is yeah. why, why, I, why <laughs> I, don't, I, I try and avoid like frameworks and things uh, quite a lot as well. I'm really one of the one of the nice things um, at Spring and Nature, where Amy and I are at the moment, is that um, the the design system is very much built around the underlying standards. So if there's some JavaScript yeah. in there, it's vanilla JavaScript. It's not. It's not dependent on um, React or something like that. Um, and uh, it's just as and when you need it, kind of thing. Just, uh, yeah. just, just. Um, the the assumption is that you're going to be creating a server uh, rendered or statically built site, and which will need some behavior perhaps. And, uh, and yeah. so it's sort of uh, there's, it's peppered with a little bit of, um, of JavaScript, which is, which is the way that, that I'm, that I like it, I suppose. But it's also hey, working with, um, with React and TypeScript, like that particular combination. I've worked, I've consulted with companies where they have that sort of setup. And I, I just find it really arduous to work in that way. Um, when it, it, TypeScript's complaining at you because you've put an, put a, um, uh, an like an ARIA attribute on something. And it's like, well, I know this is right, and I know it's a string because it's an HTML attribute, but you're saying it's not typed properly. So then I have to go and ask someone who understands how TypeScript works. And, and it's it just like, you, it, it sort of unnecessarily impedes you in doing what you already know is going to be making the actual output, the HTML, more accessible or just better. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, this could easily become a, I hate TypeScript, uh, kind of, <laughs> <box>. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like things to be really, um, paired down standards based and, and, and flexible, I suppose. And, um, yeah. and, and we've got, we've got a good kind of setup there for that. Um, and the only thing I would, I would, If, if I were to start thinking in terms of encapsulated components and things, I would naturally, as you might imagine, then start thinking more in the direction of web components, uh, which I've used, uh, I've used a few times. And I don't think, I don't know if people realize how well-supported web components are now and how cool they are to work. Um, yeah, it's, it, they are actually really kind of fun. Because you, you kind of have to do a lot of the nitty-gritty, there's not a lot there already done for you. But that's what I like about them. They're not really they're not so much a black box. And I find that a lot of the technologies technologies we use, things like I don't know, like Webpack and things, like I can't I can't hold all of it in my head at once. One thing or like a neurodiversion point, I have very limited executive functioning, I think it's called. Um so yeah. so if I'm presented by a complex JavaScript compiler. And there's no way I'll be able to understand it. Um <laughs> just in the same way that if I'm presented with like a parking meter, there's no way I can understand that. It's just too many functions <laughs> and things at once, if you see what I mean. And it's trying to piece yeah. piece them together and try and understand it all simultaneously. Yeah. I can't hold that much in my brain at one time. I'm very methodical one thing at a time. And I don't know, web components feel a bit like that because it's you have very little and then you can just do little things to move them in the right direction rather than start with a load of boilerplate and yeah. uh, i mean famous obviously with a lot of those frameworks the boilerplate itself just to get it up yeah. and running without you even yeah. writing a hello world you're still you're already looking at like 800 kilobyte page or something so so it's sort of <laughs> yeah. it from a performance point of view too so yeah
0: I mean, I remember the the heady days where you'd use a boilerplate that literally had you know an HTML file, a CSS Mm -hmm. file, and a JavaScript file, and that was it. Yeah. It's um, and now you know start up a React and you know a React app, and Jesus, you've got about you know five hundred files just waiting for you (laughs) there, staring at you, going, you know what to do with me, right? (laughs) Um, So yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, actually, I think that's, um, I was chatting to Brad, I think it was on season two, uh, Brad Frost, mm. uh, about this, he was saying that web components is like, that's his jam when it comes to design systems these days, and he doesn't really sort of go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I, I can imagine yeah, Brad I liking it, because it's
1: standards, and, um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, the other thing which, of course, is really interesting, or is really cool about them, I suppose, is just that they be- they're they more compatible with more things. I know there's a specific word for that, but <laughs> I'm just gonna say more compatible with more things. Um, as in, <laughs> you know, like if you, because they are just the underlying uh, standard technology, you do not have to like, yeah. bring everybody on board to them. You can just give yeah. it, it, it's just JavaScript, you know, it's just JavaScript and HTML, yeah. here you go. And you can put it inside your React application if, they, if they're consuming, let's say, you've got a team with multiple, uh sorry you've got a company with multiple teams one of them might be using react one might be using view yeah. and you can put web components in each of those contexts um so like when i did some work not so long ago with the bbc um with bbc's gel my job essentially um and i was working with a with a fantastically wonderful um extremely neurodivergent team as well <laughs> within the bbc <laughs> there Um, and my job was basically to take all of the kind of high level, um, gel guidance, which is kind of high level design stuff, not really code or technical stuff. Um, and convert it both provide technical advice from a very much from a standpoint of accessibility, but also to implement these things and actually write the code to make them work. And it was just as. APIs like um, intersection observer and mutation observer are coming out so you could start doing really cool componenty stuff, but directly in, um, in your like vanilla plain JavaScript. And so that yeah, was a fun yeah. thing to do, to take all of those BBC components and and actually uh, get them running, I suppose, but in that way without, but you know, someone, someone in uh, say BBC news, they might take that component and they might use that they could use it directly inside what's already i don't know what they use in bbc news but inside what might already be a react uh say uh code base or they could take kind of the documentation for it um and the way that it's set out and the way that the states and the properties and everything are described and make a react component you know so it, it it's just a lot more reusable and flexible i guess
0: yeah yeah no i think that makes complete sense um so i suppose uh, i'm gonna you know just do a quick whiplash turn now um (laughs) in terms of well actually it's going back so going back you know we were talking about the fact that front of front end is clearly one set of skills that works well with folks on design systems yeah uh when you're coming in as an engineer on there um do you think there's anything else that makes a good design systems engineer or like front ender
1: yeah i think we touched on it very briefly earlier but i think it's worth expanding on um i think that you it's it's more of a communication and coordination job than it is a code job so if you're working in product you are kind of valued based on how like specifically how performant and well designed um and uh, powerful your code is um with design yeah. systems and being a front-end developer or being any kind of developer in that context i think it's a lot more to do with trade-offs and compromises around uh getting those things adopted um getting those components hmm. or those or those uh, like higher level rules and things adopted so i think you need to first of all you need just generally i think you need to be a systems thinker i mean the clues in the name i guess design system but but i actually care about how the different dots join up so you can't have that kind of mindset of here's a jira ticket or a jira story or whatever you want to call it and you just tick it off you have to constantly be thinking about the system as a whole and the knock-on effects that what you do might have um i mean I, i had a classic thing recently where i kind of forgot to think in that way (laughs) where, um, (laughs) we, uh, we were talking about changing the, um, the, you know, like the vertical rhythm, like just the, the, the flow content spacing, the, like the block spacing and Mm. doing that across multiple brands in an organization and. In a large organization and i thought well i'm good at css (laughs) i can do this just with very very non-specific selectors in a very uh basic style sheet like really high up in the cascade and then that will
0: filter down and
1: it'll be overridden by certain things and what have you anyway um and it worked as in it really um it filtered through and all of these different places suddenly had this um this new set of spacing so that like headings and paragraphs and things were spaced differently the trouble of course was that a whole massive organization of people were like whoa wait a second these things look different and of course you have to then explain no they're supposed to but it's it's bearing in mind that it's the messaging it's it's you can't just get yeah. in there and, and fix stuff or change stuff it's about making sure that people are um they are what's the term they're involved you know they're included in
0: the conversation yeah, but informed they're, as well informed. even like at, at a minimum right w- yeah. warned <laughs> <laughs> yeah is a one way of putting yeah. it. Well, yeah. i suppose because it, it is one of those things where it's like i mean i know that it's not particularly popular at the moment to refer to your design system as a product but um but it's like if you know we do take that that view that a design system is a product it's you know it's the same as if you've got a commercial product and you're releasing it to you know the public Mm. you inform them of changes you do a a change and also you are mindful of the changes that you're making and make sure that you're getting feedback and you know having that loop because i mean i've I've definitely done it in the past where i've released you know a, a new ui to millions of people got really bad backlash and then had everybody internally being like what are you doing um actually with a little bit of communication that probably could have been avoided quite easily it's like yeah (laughs) managing
1: expectations basically isn't it yeah i think most of the time most of the time you're not going to get people who are going to say no 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 this is all wrong this is hurting my eyes you need to stop this you just they're just going to be offended if if they're not consulted basically oh that's the word i was trying to think of consulted yeah um yeah um so there's that but i think also um generally like soft skills and i hate the term soft skills um because they're hard (laughs) like the soft skills are actually harder (laughs) than the other skills i did a talk a long time ago and i used the expression there are no booleans in human interaction and i stand (laughs) by that like that's actually like it's it's held up as being this really uh difficult and rarefied thing to be a really good programmer but but things like booleans are really dependable obvious easy things as soon as you get yeah. it you know once you've got around the silly terminology like boolean
0: but um but yeah you don't get that <laughs> but <kind> no of... <laughs> and what's the so? binary is easy the binary is easy like yeah. that is yeah and it's like nothing nothing in real life is binary so
1: yeah exactly um, yeah um yeah and uh and it, and so your communication skills have to be really really strong as well. Um, yeah. I spend more of my time writing documentation than I do making components. Um, that's that's been less the case recently because we have a quite a young and and, and design system which is growing quite fast. But generally speaking, yeah. my my consultancy work is is basically: can you write the documentation for these components? Also, can you build these components? So it's kind of documentation first, which is, I kind of like a documentation first approach to things actually, Um, kind of like, you know, like test-driven development, documentation-driven development, I like the idea of. Um, And something. Oh
0: man, after my own heart.
1: (laughs) But actually, I like the writing part. Most people are like, oh, now I've got to write about it. But I actually, I like writing, I like communicating. Uh, you know like writing <laughs> blog posts and and narrating yeah. videos and that sort of that those are sort of you know if they weren't things which were related to my career they I would do them as a hobby anyway but <laughs> i think that's sort of rare uh to some extent not not necessarily because i think that um programmers or or coders are naturally naturally not inclined to write or don't enjoy writing but actually i think it's just because there's so much emphasis on their value being around churning out the code itself that they're anxious to get into the coding you know like the more time i'm writing documentation the less time i'm i'm impressing my boss with how good my code is so yeah um so that you know
0: it's i I feel like it's it's a very similar problem that a lot of design have as well where it's it's you know the time that you a good product designer especially the more senior you go and the more impact that you start having the less time you'll actually spend you know doing things in figma <laughs> it's mm, more around mm. um you know communicating researching you know doing basically doing a lot of the groundwork and doing the work to like socialize hey god <laughs> punch me for my business terminology but um but <laughs> oh, know, to socialize what, the, you're doing. Yeah, I see what you mean. yeah <laughs> um and and you know getting like it's and writing the documentation actually you know writing down the decisions that you're making and why yeah and backing them up and having all of that Kind of stuff it's the crux of your job right yeah. and i think it's the same with a lot of but it is it's one of those things that you almost feel like you're not really working if you're not you know churning out code or churning out designs yeah churning out assets. and actually like so, and, and
1: like it like starting with tests like so you write the sort of the test first if you like um mm. so, so you know what you're looking for i think that works with writing documentation too um you're setting out in your documentation how the how the component works uh, or how that you know whatever the code is works then then that's leading you leading you down the the right path hopefully um I certainly i okay. find that for me like i've written books before where i didn't really know the subject until i wrote the book it's only in writing <laughs> it that you you're forced to research it properly right
0: Um, yeah isn't that that's the best way to learn anything is to try and teach somebody else (laughs) yeah yeah i think so yeah Yeah, Yeah. absolutely because
1: then you're you're kind of using them as a sandboard in a way
0: yeah yeah (laughs) would you say i mean so on that documentation you're saying that that is you know also a relatively rare the desire to document as well, and to be able to do it well is relatively rare within engineering. Would you say that that is something that is a bit missing within design system teams at the moment, sort of from an engineering perspective? I
1: do think that, um, and I know Emil will, will agree with me on this, I think that um, design systems tend, what we call design systems tend to veer towards just being catalogues of things which have already been designed or, of you know, component picture just there um and uh not enough emphasis therefore is around the guidance or the or the way we should be making things so yeah like a system like the the term system means both an existing thing that has internal logic and parts that move and and internal relationships and interdependencies but it's also a set of rules for going about things right and i like to think of design systems way more in the second sense of it being more not so much what's available what you've done um how things have been done but more uh principles for moving forward and making things in the future i mean that's that's maybe a fairly kind of um pedestrian point but i do think that a lot of people get that wrong um where it's more just there's not a lot of governance, and it's just really just it's a just a depot where you leave the stuff that you've made, whether whether it's good or bad. You know, uh, yeah. Like I was going to say repository, but then I thought that would get confused with specifically with GitHub repositories. But yeah, just a a, dump, <laughs> a dumping ground <laughs> for, yeah. for things. Yeah, um, and I do I do but, think that people folks get that wrong. Well, it is.
0: I suppose it goes into that whole like. Uh, i don't know seeing design systems as infrastructure right is is a good way Mm. i like to think of viewing it because it's it's not only um thinking about well it's not only viewing it not as a product and something that can be thrown away and something that you mvp and like all of that kind of stuff and something that can be deprioritized Mm. but seeing it as this is business stakes but also because this is business stakes this is something that sorry business critical i should say Mm. um because this is business critical um we need to think about what we're putting in there and we need to think about the way that it operates we need to think about you know the shape of it and everything that you know happens yeah because it is a it's a piece of infrastructure that makes the rest of the product and the rest of the business work mm. i don't know that's that's mm. it's, it's definitely the way i like to see it but it's i don't think it's a very um yeah i don't think that's i i I don't know. I was going to say, I don't think it's a very popular way to view it. But um... <laughs> I think with a lot of things,
1: it's it, it, uh, from the the the, the attitude um, of the kind of higher ups or the stakeholders of people who want the design system, it's no more complex uh, decision making process than other people have this thing called the design system. I think we should have one. Yeah. And what they mean is they mean a site which shows their stuff. So that's the documentation yeah. for the design system, right? And I think that's another thing that we get wrong often is we conflate those two things. The kind of public facing site, which which catalogs all of the things in the design system, whether that's the guidance or the actual code, we conflate that yeah. with the working system, the living thing that is, that is tended to constantly. Um, the thing that that website is really just
0: about, I suppose, yeah. The artifacts, right? Mm. And so I know that's something that Amy has talked about a lot. Is you know we need to stop just looking at design systems as a series of artifacts. Mm. So yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I think a health um, I, it, as a sort of rule of thumb, I think a healthy design system is one where um, a lot of it is actually intangible, rather than rather than yeah. at, you know out of the box things which you can actually point at and and use. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: it. That's it. Um, I'm aware that we are getting close to the time where we have to switch it over, but I just mm. want to keep talking because my question's very important. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you have, you have the privilege one... of
1: being the presenter to ask the first yeah, question.
0: Exactly, I can, I can say when we turn it over to, uh, <laughs> to uh, the, the questions. Uh, I suppose the one that I did want to cover off before the end, inspired by uh, what we are talking about earlier about front and front end, mm. I'm wor- wondering whether, do you think that there are any gaps at the moment or sort of big challenges and problems that we face within design systems from an engineering point of view um, mm. around that. I'm, I'm really curious, especially with the way that we're going into things like uh, automation and, you know, with tokens and setting up pipelines properly and, and um, I don't know, other things that may arise from a design systems point of view. Um, I'm curious about like where you see the future going. Any challenges you foresee, especially from an engineering point of view?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm not clear. I'm very fuzzy. Um, I have to admit about about where I where I see it going. But I do think there will be a tension between what we were just discussing, which is making design systems as much as pop- as possible about a sort of principle driven way of working. The kind of more abstract stuff, there'll be a tension between that and people trying to automate them more and more. So we'll get to a point where there'll be some sort of um, AI startup will will create something and the idea is that it will just scan your existing website. And it will create a component library and then it will document it and it will do everything for you ah oh, but will it <laughs> but of course it won't i mean do you remember there was something called the grid or something like that which was supposed to be oh i like a... don't even <laughs> i still have flashbacks there's nightmares <laughs> yeah but people always jump on it people are there's always enough mm. people who go this is the future <laughs> and uh and then based on a lot of promise and very little uh i don't know evidence or or direction these sorts of things uh get an awful lot of um backing and, and attention and that makes the people who who come up with them famous and then of course they turn out to be weird like an rand fans or something and it's always the same <laughs> i'm not talking about the grid necessarily although that may have been the case but um, <laughs> but uh there's bands i mean partly because like we were talking about before people hate writing documentation there's going to be people working mm. on ways to automate documentation you would have people who say, of course, um, you know, I write code that documents itself. Someone said that to me the other uh, recently in a meeting and uh, I was um, stunned. Um, but the, <laughs> the um, yeah, I think that it's that tension between those two places, like a more human design system and a more, a colder, more automated and kind of less satisfactory i suppose in my biased um viewpoint on it way of doing things i think you can automate a lot of stuff but i i you can't automate the important parts of a design system and uh, and yeah. i think there will be there will be some very well vc funded attempts to do so and they will fail in a very embarrassing way <laughs> which will be fun to watch at least <laughs> so
0: <laughs> i'm looking forward to that i'm just hoping that we have a platform you know with with what's currently going on with twitter i'm hoping we have a platform where we can all vent collectively about it and uh watch <laughs> yeah. the demise together yeah yeah um, <laughs> brilliant okay i'm going to move on to the audience questions but before i do i have to ask the very important final question of the podcast say the official podcast segment. Mm. um so before we send you off to your desert island hayden um you do get to take one piece of music one book and one luxury item with you mm-hmm. to spend your days on the in paradise on the desert island <laughs> with nobody else around oh, so what nice. are they so let's start with the piece of music
1: yeah so i thought about this and i thought well am i allowed a song or, or a whole album you can take a whole album if you want to okay do. so if it was going to be one song i think it would have to be um Uh, the ecstasy of gold by ennio morricone um just because that's just a really i don't know i could just listen to that all day it's fantastic piece of music um if it's an album though i'll take my favorite psychedelic rock album which is dopes to infinity by monster magnet um they're kind of a lot of people think of them as being they they were kind of put in the the bracket of being a stoner rock band you know um yeah yeah but actually they're they're one of the just one of the greatest psychedelic rock bands they just have to be kind of heavy in places a bit more detuned i suppose (laughs) but um, that album is just peerless absolutely brilliant and and it is one of those like it's really immersive to listen to so i could forget that i'm stuck on an island starving or whatever
0: um sounds perfect i mean you might have to go searching around the the island for some I don't know ayahuasca or something but um <laughs> what uh, what book what book would you uh what book would you take with you
1: uh yeah that's true trick- so it would have to be something that i could read more than once um or you know i'd be happy reading multiple times and when i thought about that i thought that actually only um like comics and stuff are the only things that i would go back to and read over and over and when i was uh younger it was Calvin and Hobbes was my favorite. So I would take a big Calvin and Hobbes anthology, like a really thick oh, Calvin different. and Hobbes.
0: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still, I mean, it's one of those ones where I've got the final uh strip printed and on the wall. Oh really? So, <laughs> really? Yeah. Calvin and Hobbes is, is definitely a favorite, firm favorite. Oh nice. Um and uh and then luxury item you get to take one luxury item with you
1: yeah so i was gonna i was gonna say i would take a um a guitar because um uh, because that that's that just keeps me occupied just coming up with riffs and things like that but actually more importantly being stuck on on a desert island on my own for i don't know how long um nowhere near a pub i would like to take a some form (laughs) of like brewing kit so that i could i could take like the discarded already starting to ferment fruits from this island and mix them with um, hopefully a life supply of sugar um, and accelerate the fermentation process and then just get drunk. Um, Get drunk, listen to Spinner Rock read Calvin Hobbes
0: that sounds amazing <laughs> a lot of desert islands as well have you know some you know cassava or some kind of like root vegetables which you can actually use in uh, uh, as a replacement for for malt as well um, okay what a lot of African. <laughs> <brew is doing. laughs> so there you go that's my uh, fact uh, for the day that's like you learn something every day <laughs> that's great um Brilliant. Okay. So let's, let's hand it over to the audience. We've only got about oh, 10 or 15 minutes, um, mm-hmm. but that's okay. We'll get through as many, there are so many good questions. So, you Ooh. know, afterwards I might just have to send them to you. So I can't you can, guarantee you know, that the, time. The, the, the good answers will be proportionate to the good questions. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. So um, Let's go. Okay. So let's give this a crack. So the first question is from Brett and. Oh
1: Did Luke disappear for everyone else?
0: Okay. Uh, so what do you think holds web components back?
1: Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. I like that. Um, there are, <laughs> the whole context of using jsx um where you can you can more easily and flexibly use complex data and pass that through um the kind of whole state managing thing using complex data um in in stuff like react or view or, or the or equivalents um yeah. makes it yeah it just makes those things a lot more a lot more ergonomic Um, The other thing that I was looking into recently about web components is, so declarative shadow DOM is a really exciting thing um, where without JavaScript, you can still create a shadow root and you can still um, encapsulate your, uh, your CSS and do all of that kind of stuff. But the trouble with it is that you can't do the templating part once uh, and then instantiate mm. multiple versions of that shadow DOM or that that kind of web component. Um, you have to kind of define the template for each instance. So I think mm. that's unfortunate, and I'm hoping that there'll be some sort of greater reusability that will be that will be incorporated where you can maybe reference a a template with an ID so that you can you can take that shadow DOM markup and, and you can use it in multiple places from one source, like one, a single source of truth. That would be really cool. Um, those are the two things that come to mind. Um, but generally I think they've just had a, they, because they were sort of a stop-start thing where we had one version of them and then there was, oh, there's problems with this. And then it came out in a different, like the version one syntax and everything. Uh, that i kind of i think people sort of lost faith in it becoming a thing just because of that sort of yeah uh, it stalled sort of release uh, i guess they are really yeah. strong yeah. now but i think they lost lost a lot of favor because of the the way that they kind of came out and then didn't and then did <laughs> so
0: uh, well, I think that's the thing. It's one of those things with a lot of those standards driven is that the process is very long yeah. and quite often you can be waiting for a long time between releases, which is a shame, but it, it does feel like everything is just speeding up a lot now. Yeah, especially is, CSS, um, like all of the
1: stuff that you're getting in uh, CSS now. It's,
0: it's, it's amazing. The new CSS <laughs> stuff, it makes me so excited. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. All like, right. Parent selectors essentially with the has function. We were told oh. we were told forever that you just wouldn't that wouldn't be possible. Parents selected no, that's a pipe dream. No CSS doesn't work like that. And now you've kind of got it. It's right, yeah.
0: There's some of the stuff that you can do with has now is just it blows my mind. Seeing the the things that Andy Bell and or actually Jay Tompkins as well from Google who just does these ridiculous demos using has to create like safe cracking or whatever. <laughs> oh, right. um, yeah, but no. they, they just they beautiful and but they are really powerful i mean and of course everybody's favorite current well new thing uh, container queries yeah yeah another <laughs> good one Fair another enough. one
1: we were told yeah. probably wouldn't be possible because of vendor exactly Mike, vendor yeah. saying the performance would be too and they just found a way of actually um you know when you because you're specifically declaring containers that was the the yeah. way around it and that's a really clever bit of lateral thinking to go okay the performance won't be so bad if we actually get the author to specify exactly where they want to do the containment and
0: yeah nice yeah okay i'm going to click the finish answering button and just hope for the best to see if this actually does uh no yeah. no it didn't, it didn't, you yeah. didn't disappear that I'm time that's good yeah i'm not going to uh press the question buttons again but that's okay we can just keep going with the questions so we have a good question from amy which is surprising considering it's amy <laughs> but um how do you <laughs> um i mean no disrespect amy Hube is amazing um how do you see how do you see the responsibility being split between design system teams and product teams when it makes sure uh when it comes to making sure that the user experience is accessible so basically whose responsibility is it oh okay
1: well i mean as an in accessibility consultant of sorts or or a or an Mm. erstwhile accessibility consultant i'm bound to say the the agreed line which is accessibility (laughs) is everyone's responsibility amy and you should know that (laughs) but but come on in reality i think so i think in fairness we've talked a lot recently about the the fact that um uh that the design system shouldn't be expected to provide everything. It should mm. set a precedent and it should provide key tools and key components and assets and things. And then product teams are, are likely to develop some stuff which is, it's just unavoidable that there's gonna be some stuff that they, they um, create themselves uh, which aren't su- isn't suitable to be backported to the design system. So to some extent, you're bound to always be working kind of in parallel and slightly orthogonally. But um, I think the design system's role is to set the precedent and say, the stuff we're providing is accessible, we've tested it. It's it's not going to cause any of these problems. You should do the same. If you're not actually using our stuff directly, you should be doing the same thing. So I think the role of the design system isn't just to provide components that are accessible but to set the precedent for um for how accessibility is done right i suppose um
0: yeah and i think that makes sense as well because obviously design system is the one that's going to be thoroughly documented and accessible to everybody in terms of you know the the what goes around it which is you know where a lot of the accessibility lives it's you know because a lot of hmm. what makes something accessible is so baked into the design or the code mm. that you know it, it is usually the documentation that, that can really sort of say how accessible something is or what was you know brought into it, right? Yeah. Um yeah. so it does make sense the design systems are setting, although it does make me go why don't product teams document better. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but that's a topic for another day. Uh, <laughs> um cool. Um and so uh, another good question here from Matthias. Um how do you manage and I suppose maintain quality of your component usage uh with the design system when it goes out into the wild? Do you? Oh, that's um yeah, I'm not as in how does how does... basically making sure that people stick to what you're doing. Um so I suppose it's harder when it comes to code because I suppose people can't really, you know, detach instance like they can in design. So it's mm. it's um
1: Yeah, so it's that is there's no easy solution for that. I think you do have to constantly be kind of checking up on on individual teams and periodic Mm -hmm. periodically working with them. So one of the things that I think is important is that the a a piece of code component however you want to um, uh, slice it that that is a likely candidate for the design system, which was developed may have been developed um, somewhat in a product team. Um, Mm -hmm. It's best to avoid obviously just saying, okay, well, that that seems like this component you happen to have devised before anyone else um, should be in the design system. Um, So just put it in, but to actually actively coordinate it being part of the design system and in the process make sure that it, it is of the highest quality. So it's about that mm. things being contributed to the design system. There's an opportunity to yeah. to um uh coordinate and make sure that they're that they're of the highest quality. So if they are lacking in accessibility for example then you can fix that in a collaboration with those people who are contributing. And then you end up with a a better component in the design system and they, and then they're drawing back from the design system anyway, so they get a better version for themselves. So hopefully there's that kind of feedback loop and that, and the collaboration is a word that comes up a lot um, recently around product teams and the design system working together um, over things.
0: Yeah. And I suppose it's interesting as well on like a similar, uh, no I suppose when you're working with a component that is going to affect or potentially affect because there are some components when you touch them the you were talking about it before the cascading effects that you can have throughout sort of the entire system can be you know quite far reaching um, do you currently use any kind of like visual regression testing or anything like that to to sort of you know almost like grok the changes when you're working on something so that there isn't that chance of you know something looking completely messed up sort of when you you know deliver an iteration or a change to something
1: yeah so i i don't typically use visual regression testing and the reason for that is that generally um first of all it's a very difficult thing to get set up i found um but also yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um but also I tend to find that it catches more. I mean, this is this is a wider conversation around testing and the and, and the philosophy of testing, mm-hmm. but it tends to catch more <laughs> changes that you wanted to make than it does ones that you don't. And then it's sort of s- filtering through um filtering through the stuff which is actually no no, that's just me doing my job. Can you please stop? You know i mean i remember working on a on a design system where i was just constantly constantly refreshing my snapshots you know your snapshots in um jest. this is like well yeah so now i've got yeah. two jobs my actual job which is to change this component for the better and then to tell this system no i know what i'm doing <laughs> can you please remember it differently again so, so it's like another <laughs> command each time i'm being i'm being a little bit uh a little bit facetious around testing, but I do, I find th- I find it can be a bit of an impediment with that stuff. And it's, and especially with visual regression testing, usually like if there was a way of visual regression testing where it only it didn't just tell you when it changed the way it looks, but it would it was able to pick up on specific things you'd want to avoid, like say parts of it mm-hmm. becoming obscured, like the text going yeah. off the screen and things which are actually an accessibility issue or that kind of stuff that i mean we're going into the territory
0: of ai's again probably aren't we in order to do that kind of thing but so. at the same time like it is i see that feels like a much better candidate for you know good ai and mm. stuff that can actually you know use sort of machine learning to to build up that that knowledge of what is acceptable what is sort of unacceptable in the boundaries yeah if it's in testing or yeah. something which feels like a you know a lot less sexy for when people are trying to get investment but Geez, way more useful than AI image generators. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So if anyone is a VC here, Luke and I are looking for some funding
1: for our new, <laughs> for our new uh, visual regression testing, yeah. but finds the stuff that is bad. Well, that's what we'll call it. That's just, there's a catchy name, isn't it? So,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so we have, I think we have time for probably one last question. Um, so I'm actually going to skip to uh, a good question from Dean which is actually a follow-on to somebody else's question so you might have to wrap up both but um so Nuno did ask around you know what the most important things uh were when it comes to accessibility with with um with apps which i think is a very broad question but i think uh Dean has kind of um gone in a little bit harder on what you think are the important things to document from an accessibility Point of view mm. to ensure that accessibility is considered beyond the design system and into the end product.
1: Mm. That's that's a good one. Um, so the first, so I'm gonna, I'm afraid I'm gonna be the irritating um, guest who kind of changes the nature of the question in order to make it suit the way I answer <laughs> it. But, but I, I, I'm hopefully I'm doing that in a, I'm gonna do this in a in a reasonable way. Um, so. I think it's really important the way that accessibility is um, documented for the greatest impact um, in Mm. those terms. So anything which is, which can, there are, there are things which are definitely cause more harm to, to uh, larger and, and more varied demographics than other things. Um, There's things which are technically accessibility errors even in terms of WCAG where it's like it's not really going to stop the person using the product. where there's others which are much worse so obviously yeah. you want to you want to focus on getting the the basic stuff uh, or, the, or the more potentially more damaging stuff um, right first but it's in the way that you document accessibility in a design system the mistake that lots of design systems make is and you can sort of tell that they don't have a uh kind of core competency in terms of accessibility when they do this is to just have a kind of pro forma page which says accessibility is blah 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 and then some kind of very generic basic information about accessibility um Mm. it's really important just like with the 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 auditing uh the you know the providing guidance that i was talking about before when i when i've done um uh accessibility audits really important to organize the advice around the actual components and in terms of design system documentation i'm talking about having when you're talking about color also mention the accessibility of color rather than you talk about Mm. colors on one page and then tucked away on a different page labeled accessibility you say you know contrast is good or whatever so it's kind of (laughs) you know it's yeah, actually mentioning it in line and it's also good doing that is also really good because it gets it sets the mindset it sets the expectation that accessibility is just part of the work you're doing or part of the work that has been done that makes the component what it is it's not an extra consideration it's not a separate consideration yeah yeah
0: it's exactly i suppose it's, it's very similar to what we're talking about you know design systems as infrastructure it's almost like accessibility as a core part it's why i've loved seeing um accessibility folks being part of you know a platform sort of design platform team or a core design team Mm. um because it shows that it's this is a central part of what is important with design so it's like let's you know recognize that and let's bake it into the way that we do things i mean to be honest i just prefer it if every single designer had to do a Three-year course on accessibility, yeah. but yeah. that's that's particularly realistic. But hopefully, though, you know, <laughs> if you if you're dotting that kind of information around
1: everywhere, then they can't avoid it. <laughs> like they they're going to yeah. come across yeah. it, and they're going to see that it's it is part of the day-to-day considerations. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I ho- hopefully, well, that that slightly you. side-angled way of approaching that question was all right. <laughs>
0: i think that was great that was great and i think that's probably a really good good point to wrap it up as well so thank you so much hayden for joining us yeah no worries it's uh, been really it's good been, it's been another great design of silent discs it's uh, uh thank you to the lovely audience as well for the questions i kind of wish that we could and get through more of them um and amy yeah thank you to the audience and amy for the questions <laughs> um I'm actually going to collate those questions and see if I can shoot them across to you, Hayden because I think there's some interesting interesting things that might prompt some good uh, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Posts, like, I, I, anything
1: like that. I mean it gets me it gets me thinking about things. <laughs> I like I I like people <laughs> asking me stuff about accessibility like if they contact me on well what would now be Mastodon because a lot of the time it's stuff where I haven't <laughs> thought about it necessarily or I haven't thought about it recently so it gets me thinking about it. So yeah, I yeah, do pass them yeah. on um and I'll have a look
0: Brilliant. Well, we'll now set you afloat to your island so that you can continue <laughs> listening to your psych rock searching for psychedelic um, beer ingredients. Uh, <laughs> so you can find Hayden on on Twitter at HaydenWorks. I believe you're also at HaydenWorks at Mastodon I'm, Social I'm on Mastodon. barely,
1: barely on Twitter now. So I would, I mean, I've technically got <laughs> an account, but I'm not really using it. So yeah, find me. Um, I'm a front, yeah, end social uh, on Mastodon. And I'm just Hayden on there.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And you can also uh, have a look at all the amazing things that Hayden does at his website, haydenworks.com. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Zero Height, the design system documentation platform. Uh, So you can jump in if you would like to and create your first style guide for free by heading over to zeroheightcom slash podcast. If you put the slash podcast, they'll know that I sent you and my boss will be happy. Um, Until next time, bon voyage.